0: Anybody ever changed your mind about something? Anybody married anybody who 's ever changed their mind <clears throat> changed your way you 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 decided to go one way and then you decide that 's not a very good way i 'm going to go another way reconsider anything uh, you thought this was a great plan, but then you reconsider and realize that 's really not the best plan. It may not even be a very good plan i 'm going to take go an- i 'm going to have another plan um, We change our way. We change our mind sometimes. Uh, Valerie Sewell is here. Valerie and uh, Jolie, she's worried about what's about to happen next. According to social media, uh, Valerie and Jolie, her daughter, uh, Jody and Valerie's daughter, jumped out of an airplane again last week. And I say again because they've done this before and did not realize what a bad idea it is, and so they did it again. Now, I have never jumped out of an airplane, Valerie, Um, but I'm fairly certain that if I got up the nerve to get in the plane, before I jumped out, I would change my mind. I, I, I I would find another way to get back to the ground other than out the door, as in buckled in a seat inside the plane. As it landed safely on the runway, the way God intended for us to get down from the sky, like I would reconsider that. Um, Julia, it's not skydiving, but Julie and I went zip lining a few weeks ago, and it was a family-friendly place. Eleven miles of zip lines, and it's about an hour before our group was supposed to go, and so we're walking around. We had spent the night, and we we're walking around the the campus there, and. Uh, From high in the tree canopy, we hear screams and shrieks and wailing and gnashing of teeth raining down on the whole campus. Um, There was a child who had changed her mind. I mean, on the first zipline platform, she had completely changed her mind. She had reconsidered whether this was a good idea or not. Her parents told her that it was a good idea. They lied. She did not think this was a good idea whatsoever. And standing there strapped in, she changed her mind. We do that, right? We change our mind. We, we change our way. We reconsider the, the wisdom in certain decisions. Those are some simple illustrations of something the Bible discusses all the time. Uh, a, a spiritual component to our lives And the Bible word, the church word, the spiritual word is repentance, repent, repenting, right? Repentance, kind of a big church word, but it just means to turn around, to go a different way, to reconsider, change your mind. In the Old Testament, the word that's used for repent just means that, to turn. I'm going to turn. I'm not going to go this way anymore. I'm going to go that way, to turn around. I was going this way. Now I'm going to go that way. And it's used all throughout both the Old and the New Testament. In the in the New Testament, the one of the words most used for repent just means to change your mind, to reconsider, to perceive the situation differently. I'm in it, but it's not what I thought it was going to be. And now I'm questioning the wisdom that got me here. I'm going to change the way I perceive this situation. It's a Greek word, metaneo. Meta means after, right? After I've already stepped towards it. After, and it implies that I'm going to make a change. After I've started in this direction, I'm going to make a change. And then neo, the second part, means the way I perceive things, the way I see things. I started, and after I got started... I realized I need to change the way I think about this. I need to change my mind. I need to change my way. And all throughout the New Testament and uh, the Old Testament, for that matter, we are encouraged. Whenever you have stepped off in a direction, whenever you have considered moving in a direction, and after considering it, you realize this is not the direction God wants for me and ultimately it's not going to be good for me, you can change. You can turn around. Wisdom and discernment would be the front end, right? Wisdom and discernment would be before I step off. And that's where we want to live. That's where we want to live is before I go down a road, I want to see if this is the right or the wrong way. But the Bible also says sometimes you're going to start down a road and after you've started, you're going to realize it's the wrong way. So turn around. Change. Reconsider. Perceive this situation differently. Now, repentance in the Bible, it has an emotional component to it. It's not only emotion, but there is the emotions of remorse that causes me to reconsider. Sometimes sometimes guilt. Like, I shouldn't be here. I'm going to reconsider, and I'm going to turn in a different direction. Now, <clears throat> repentance is largely talked about in the church in Christian circles as it has to do with our initial salvation and it's very much a part of our salvation salvation coming to Jesus in faith is realizing I don't want to live for myself I want to live in relationship with Jesus and and I have been sinning i have disobeyed god so my life has been going away from god and i want to go towards god so i want to turn around and put my faith in jesus receive his forgiveness and gain eternal life with him and relationship to god the father right that, that repentance part of salvation is, is critical that, that's what lets me know i need jesus i i i am going the wrong way I need Jesus I need to turn towards him so repentance is very much a part of coming to faith but that's not all repentance is for in our life and sometimes we think that way sometimes we think okay I repented now I'm saved the way the Bible talks about repentance though is that is it is an ongoing characteristic of walking with Jesus that throughout my life monthly, weekly, sometimes daily. There are parts of my life that begin to move away from what God wants, and I need to turn those around. I need to change my mind about those. There are attitudes that I begin to hold that I know is is not pleasing to God, and I need to turn away from those. There are habits that I begin to develop that I know are not honoring to God, but I've already stepped into them. And so my response is to then turn back to the way of Jesus. It's an ongoing process for a sensitive heart that's following after Jesus, right? Because there are parts of our lives that don't fully give in to Jesus right away. When we come to faith, we're completely saved. We're not like incrementally saved. This part of you gets saved, and then that part, and then you're a little more saved later. No, when Jesus forgives us, he forgives us completely. We come fully into relationship with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that every part of my life, every habit I have, every attitude and thought I have immediately surrenders to the Lordship. Of Jesus, We just sang uh, old song, I Surrender All, and, and that is our posture when we come to Jesus. I want to give you everything, but then there's also the reality that Paul knew that I still, I still battle with some tendencies. You know, Paul wrote about it so well, and, and he said, you know, there's, there's parts of me that are great, and there's, there's parts of me that don't want to do what God wants me to do. And he he admits at one point like I haven't arrived. I'm not there. I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm still striving towards it. So Paul captured this idea that even in a follower of Jesus who desires to surrender everything to Jesus, there will be these pieces of our heart and our mind and our and our habits that keep wanting to stray off from the way of Jesus. And our response when that happens is repentance. Our, our response is. Hey, turn back. Turn back. Not just at salvation, but all throughout our life. Turn back. Turn back. Um, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, King Solomon is praying a prayer of dedication for the temple. And so the nation has gathered and he's leading them in the dedication of the new temple that's been built under his leadership. And he prays this prayer, this really long prayer for the people. And I'm going to jump in about two-thirds of the way through the prayer. This is in uh, 1 Kings 8, verse 46. Solomon prays when they, meaning your people, God, this, this is your nation, the nation, these are your people, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, which is kind of a comforting phrase, isn't it? Um, I mean, if you're realistic enough to admit that you have failings, that you you aren't perfect, it's comforting to know that a long time ago, King Solomon really wise prayed, God, there's not a one of us that, that don't miss it every once in a while. There's not a one of us that's perfect. When they, your people, sin, and there's no one that doesn't sin. Now, sin shouldn't be constant in our lives. I'm not saying we sin every day. I'm saying that we are imperfect, and as Solomon says, there's no one who does not sin. That's not an excuse. I'm not trivializing disobedience. We're just being realistic along with Solomon and saying we all come up short. We're agreeing with Paul. There's parts of me that still finds it difficult to surrender over to God. He he prays, when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, And you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near. Now, admittedly, that escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? We're talking about everybody's sins. Now we're in captivity. That happened really fast. Solomon's kind of fast-forwarding the consequences of unrepentant sin. What he's saying is, if they don't turn back to you, if they, if they continue in this sin and, and, and there's no repentance on their part, eventually they're going to end up in a really bad place. And we know that's true. You read the rest of the Old Testament, you find it happening multiple times. And it didn't happen after one sin or two sins or, or five sins. It happened after years of unrepentant. We're not turning back to you. Sometimes generational generations would pass. We're not turning back. We're going to continue living in sin. And Solomon says, God, there may be a time when they don't repent and you bring consequences into their life and they end up in captivity. Now, none of us have have been in captivity, I don't think. None none of us have been conquered by an enemy and, and enslaved. None of us sitting here, we haven't experienced that but the principle is still true. When, when you and I refuse to turn away from sin, when, when we over time are unrepentant in our heart, in our nature, in our mind, we are insisting, moving down a path that displeases God, you know the end of that path is some real awful consequences. Because you've seen it, maybe in your life, maybe in somebody else's life. Maybe not literal captivity, but you know stories of people who have ended up captive to the consequences of bad decision-making over months and years of their life. You, you, You probably know or know of people who have ended up captive to addictions because they had opportunities to turn away, turn away. They had people pleading with them, turn back, turn back. And they didn't. They kept walking down to that path and they ended up captive to an addiction or captive to a habit or captive to an emotion or captive to consequences that have come into their life. This is what Solomon is saying. like When we go on sinning, there is trouble coming. And here's what we tend to do. We're like the people of the Old Testament. I, 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 the more I read the Old Testament, the more I begin to realize the Old Testament wasn't given to tell us how they were. The Old Testament was given to tell us how we are. We don't want to admit it, but the Old Testament's a mirror of us because we do this too. And what we tend to do is we, we excuse Patterns that are moving away from God, attitudes that are displeasing to God. We defend, we justify, we blame someone else. Well, it's really their fault. Well, if I wasn't raised that way, well, these are just my experiences. We have all of these reasons to deflect responsibility for the sin that's going on in our life Until, like the nation of Israel, we end up in captivity, right? Until the consequences become so overwhelming, we can't deny it anymore. But what I want to say to us today is that repentance, this act of turning away, it's not just for when the consequences of sin become overwhelming. That's that's not the only time you and I can repent. We don't have to wait till everything falls apart to turn back. You can actually turn back sooner than that we excuse and we defend or we justify we defend we excuse until that failing in our life becomes public and we can't deny it anymore like our secret gets out we get exposed somebody finds out Somebody brings it up. We thought we had this well-kept secret of this little area of our lives, and then when it gets exposed, then we're suddenly interested in repentance. And you can repent at that moment. It's a beautiful thing about God's grace. You can repent when the consequences are overwhelming, when it becomes public. But what I'm saying is if we build into our lives this consistent uh, habit of repentance, we don't have to get there we see it in public figures a lot uh, don't we uh, of people who are unrepentant until it makes the news and then suddenly they're very sorry right not questioning how genuine they are when they're sorry i'm not sure all of them are genuine but a lot of times we don't repent until there's no other option What the Bible teaches us is if we're walking in the way of Jesus, if we're developing the qualities of the spiritual life, then this will just be another habit of our life to keep turning back, to keep identifying areas that aren't pleasing to God and turning them back. And, And here's what I would suggest. If repentance becomes a consistent part of my life, then our sin won't have the opportunity to become this big problem. Like it won't gain the momentum it needs to wreck my life. If if I'm able to look at the path I'm on and say, this is going to the wrong place, this is going to land me in the wrong situation, I'm going to turn back now, I don't ever get to that point. It's just one of the many reasons why repentance needs to be a part of our daily life, our, our weekly life, our constant assessment of our spiritual life. So here's Solomon's prayer. Uh, if your people sin, and and no one is without sin, and if they end up in the worst of consequences, if they actually get there, and then he prays, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name. So even at its worst, if they do actually get there, but if they have a change of heart, if after all of the consequences hit, they turn back to you. And notice the physical turning representing the spiritual turning. Solomon says, if they turn and face the nation of Israel, if they turn and face the temple, right that's a picture of spiritually turning away from what I've been choosing, away from my enemy, my sin, and turning towards what God wants. If that happens, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt. Right? This, is, this is what happens when we repent. When we turn back to God, we are met with His grace. We are met with His mercy wherever along the path we are. Even if we're at the worst of the consequences of that path, if we turn back to God, He meets us with grace. And and, and this is a pattern for all of us, not just the unbelievers. When John writes the book of the Revelation, he writes to churches that are failing, most of them failing in some way, and John's message to them is repent. Stop doing that. Stop living in that direction. Turn back. Not so they can receive salvation, but as a part of their growth in Christ, turn around from what's taking you away from God. John the Baptist. Different John. John the Baptist is the uh, forerunner of Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. So he comes before Jesus. He preaches only one message. He only has one message to prepare the way for Jesus, and that message was repent. Turn around. Stop going that way. You want to meet the Messiah? You want to recognize the Messiah? You want to follow the Messiah? Here's the key. Turn around from sin. Turn away from disobedience. Come back to the things of God. This is what prepared the world for the coming of the Messiah, because repentance prepares us to walk in the way of Jesus. Repentance is what prepares us to walk in the way of Jesus. I, I, I can't arrogantly defend what is displeasing to God and walk in the way of Jesus. I need the, a tender, sensitive heart that admits I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I am constantly having to bring parts of my life back to Jesus Jesus is baptized uh, he goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil and then coming out of that he launches his public ministry including his public teaching ministry and this is his first message given to us in Matthew four seventeen. from that time on Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near turn back Turn away. Our hearts need this continual act of coming back to Jesus. Turning back to Jesus. Maybe it's habits that we have. Maybe it's attitudes we have. Maybe it's just that our spiritual life has grown cold. All of us wrestle not only with habits that we developed in the past, but let's be honest. We pick up a few new bad habits the older we get. We pick up a, new, a few new temptations, uh, new ways that our mind is drawn away from God. And the scriptures say over and over again, come back, just come back. Don't let this run to its ultimate conclusion, its ultimate consequence. Turn around, come back. Now, why is that so difficult? One of the reasons I think it's difficult is because repentance requires humility. I mean, repentance is admitting, I made the wrong choice here. I'm going the wrong way. This is not what God wants. I am engaged in something that displeases God. It takes humility to say, I'm wrong. I'm really wrong. And I need to turn back to God. We, we live in a time where there's so much emphasis on image and saving face and, and presenting this, this ideal of perfection that we guard that. We, we somehow think that admitting wrong is admitting weakness. Or, or if I admit that I'm wrong, then people are going to think I'm wrong about everything. Or they're going to wonder what else I've done. Or, like We have all of these reasons for putting up a front that says, no, I'm perfect. I haven't done anything. Not, not coming clean about what's really happening in our lives. So we double down, right? We, we defend. We arrogantly hold on to the path that we've chosen, but that doesn't give us a tender heart that just entrenches us in the wrong direction. We don't want to be told what to do. We, we don't want to admit to somebody that you're right, this is going on. And so we just become entrenched in moving away from God. But this this, this denial does not create a heart that is tender towards what Jesus is doing in us. Think about this. Have you you ever been in a disagreement or an argument with a friend or a family member, uh, a sibling, uh, a spouse, and you were clearly in the wrong? You knew it. They knew it. All God's people knew it. You were in the wrong. Did defending your position bring greater health to that relationship. Like if you double down, if, if even though you knew you were wrong, everybody knew you were wrong, if you double down on defending why you did what you did and it was really your fault and if you hadn't, then I wouldn't have, does that just nurture a wonderfully healthy relationship with that person? Of course not. Of course, now now, the argument may go away because they realize you're just stubborn and you're never going to admit that you were wrong, but it, it in no way nurtures the relationship for you to stay entrenched in a position that you know everybody knows is wrong. It's the same way spiritually. What causes a healthy relationship when somebody is wrong is for that person to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I won't do that again. I'm sorry, I want to change. I want to be different. I'm not making excuses. I was wrong. I want to be different. I I want to change. That's what gives relationships hope For growth and maturity. It is is the exact same way in our relationship with God. What causes us to mature in our relationship with God is not trying to convince God that we're right. Or that it's not a big deal. Or nobody's going to find out. It's saying, God, you're right. This area is wrong and I'm sorry and I want to change. I want to be different. Tim Keller writes, In our world where everything is about promoting yourself, repentance feels brutal. But repentance is the only way to be healed. In our world where everything is about image and being strong and being right and being smart and knowing everything, in that world... Coming clean about areas where you're wrong, admitting it, repentance, it feels brutal. It feels like I'm exposing myself. And you you are. That's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I have no excuses. I, I have no defenses. I'm wrong. I don't want to keep being wrong. I want to turn and do something different. I want to be something different. John the, uh, John the baptizer in, in Matthew has this great little line about repentance. And, and honestly, when you go back and read Matthew chapter 3, he's pretty worked up. Like he's angry. He's talking to the religious leaders who he had all kind of confrontation with. And so he's probably yelling at this point and sweating and veins are popping out. I mean, he's like really worked up. But in the middle of just kind of blasting the religious leaders, he says this line, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. produce fruit. Let your life produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Let your life show that you are sensitive to where you're wrong. Let your life demonstrate that you are willing to be con- corrected by the Holy Spirit. Let, let your life be an example of someone who just confesses where they've failed and then changes does something different turns around i mentioned that repentance has an emotional piece to it right there there is that remorse peace to it, but it's not just the feeling of remorse. It's not just that I feel guilty. My life changes. I produce the fruit of repentance. I live differently. I speak differently. I act differently because I'm constantly bringing areas of my life back toward Jesus. That's the fruit of repentance. Let me give you a a couple of suggestions for, for maybe how to get this process started in our life. The first suggestion is give the Holy Spirit room to reveal sin in your life. Make space for that to happen. We're often so busy and life is so loud and we're always in a hurry that the only position we ever get around to is the position of defense. The position of, I don't have time to deal with that. It's not that big a deal. Nobody's ever going to find out. And we're just moving from one thing to the next. And so we never have time to pause and give the Holy Spirit opportunity to surface those things that are going on in our heart. Prayer does that. Silence. Our lives are noisy. Beeping and ringing and push notifications and it's all... Our life is very noisy, but is in the silence, It is sitting quietly with the Lord that often my defense is lower and the Holy Spirit is able to surface. You know, this attitude has been kind of working in you for a couple months now. What is that? There's, there is this edge. That is developed in you over the last few weeks in your relationships. What is it, where, where? Where is that coming from? Don't do that. There is the, you've developed this jealousy towards people. Wait, get rid of that. Silent fasting. We haven't talked about fasting in a while. Um, Fasting is just doing without something. In the Bible, typically it was food. I'm going to do without a meal or, or two meals or a day of meals. And I'm going to just listen to the Lord during that time. I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to seek the Lord with that time in my life. And, and a, a lot of people um, a lot of people will fast when they're trying to make a big decision, and I, and I get that. Uh, when they're wanting to know, God, what door are you opening for me? Should I do this or should I do that? I'm going to fast. I'm going to listen to the Lord. And if God gives you those answers in fasting, good for you. For me, and, and this is just me, this is not like everybody should experience this, but for me, whenever I've fasted for a day or two or three, what most gets revealed to me are problems with me. I ain't so mad at God about that. I'm like, no, I want you to give me like this big vision. And God says, no, you got anger issues. Whenever I fast, God always surfaces something that I've been covering up, something that I've been ignoring or I've been excusing. So maybe that's a way. But you have to find time in your life where you're giving the Holy Spirit room to say these things to you. Because you'll make excuses for you all day long if you don't, if you don't let the Holy Spirit surface some of these things. When that happens, when you know there's something to repent of, then my second suggestion is be specific and don't make excuses. I don't think God forgive us for all our many sins is repentance. It's a fine phrase if you want to say it in your prayers. I'm not saying it's a terrible, ungodly thing to say. I'm just saying repentance is specific. God, this is what I've been struggling with, and I know it's sin, and I want to turn away from this. God, this is the attitude that I keep having. This is the emotion that's not pleasing to you. This is what I'm doing in this relationship that I know is not pleasing to you. When it comes to repentance, get as specific as you can and don't make excuses. Don't tell God why it's not a big deal. Don't tell God that it's somebody else's fault. Just say, I don't want to be that person. I want to turn that area back to you. Be specific. Don't make excuses. Another suggestion. Change any patterns or habits that will make it difficult to turn away. You know, some of the fruit of repentance is I got to make some changes or else I'm going to keep going down this path. If I keep going to this place, I'm going to keep going down that path. If I keep hanging around these people, I'm going to keep going down that path. So you, you may have to take some action steps as a part of repentance so that you can get off of that path. You may have to delete some apps from your phone. You may have to take a break from social media. You may have to disengage in some ways. Whatever those things are that will help you turn away from sin and back to Jesus, do them. And then fourth, receive God's grace. Repentance is not God's way of beating up on you. It's not God's way of insulting you. It's not God's way of being mad at you. It's God's way of restoring you. It's God's way of refreshing you. It's God's way of rescuing you. Before you get to the end of where these, this path is leading, God's stepping in to rescue you and turn you back, receive that. God's grace is available wherever you are on this path. Even if you're at the end, even if all the consequences have fallen on you, God's grace is still available. The writer of Hebrews Uh, writes about Jesus and compares him to the Old Testament priest. And and his point is Jesus is greater than any of those guys. He's greater than any of those guys. And and, and here's how he says it in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses... But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know what makes Jesus greater than the high priest? The high priest had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Jesus didn't. He was sinless. And in his death, he took away all of your sins. But here's an interesting piece that the author of Hebrews adds. He says that when you fail, when you trip up, when you get down the wrong path, Jesus gets it. Like he knows you're human and you're weak. Jesus became human. He felt that temptation. He never gave in. He never sinned. But he felt what it was like to have human weakness and be drawn towards sin. Jesus gets it when you failed. You understand? He empathizes with our weakness because he's been there. Then the writer says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You don't have to cower when you come back to God. You don't have to fear that he won't receive you writer of Hebrews says, here's here's a good thing. Jesus knows that weak part of our hearts. And when we turn back to him, we can do so boldly. We can do so with confidence that his grace is going to be right there available. Jesus doesn't meet us. When we turn back to him, Jesus doesn't meet us with a lecture. He doesn't scold us. Remember when your parents would lecture you? Didn't you hate that? Like for some of us, we just... We thought, would you just spank me and, and let's get this over with, right? Can you just beat me and it'll be... A, what was worse was that lecture, that scolding. And, and then, you know, they come back 30 minutes later and they pick up and then you get the lecture again. When we come to Jesus, we don't get a lecture. We get grace. We get mercy. We get a God who loves us. Like in the story of the prodigal son, he's like the father looking down the path just waiting for us to turn back, to welcome us back, to shower us with his grace and his love. Repentance is not something to be feared. Repentance is not something to hide from. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you spiritually healthy when you can consistently keep turning back and keep turning back let's produce the fruit of repentance in our lives you bow your heads close your eyes not trying to manipulate anybody or play on your emotions but I just know this subject so often surfaces things in us if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if there's anything like that that's come to your mind, don't brush it off. Don't make an excuse. Don't get defensive. Like if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something and said... Right here right right. this is where you need to turn back it's right here then do it just do it just just obey just just receive the mercy and grace that's that's ready to be poured out on you if you'll just say I'm sorry I don't want to be that person I want to walk in the way of Jesus God, help us to have sensitive hearts. Our world tempts us to get calloused and hardened and and self-protective because sometimes people use our failures against us. They just do. They use our weaknesses against us. But not you. That's not the God that you are. We can come boldly to your throne this morning. And as we turn to you, we will receive grace and mercy again and again and again. We will never exhaust it. So help us to turn, not just today, but every day, to keep turning back to you. Keep turning back to you. Keep turning back to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.